We are back! This is the final episode in our six-part series detailing every player taken in the MLB's 2020 shortened draft. Buckle in for a long episode, we're covering the NL West today, and they had the most picks out of any division. We refuse to lay over and let the quality of content suffer, so if you truly need, skip ahead to the team of your choice using the timestamps in the show notes below, but I encourage you to sit back and listen to the whole show today. It is jam-packed full of incredible information, and you're going to love everything our scouts bring to the table. The MLB season is about to start, so the draft recap series are coming to an end. Sit back and enjoy today. My name is John Giles, and this is Prospects Worldwide. Guys, like I said at the top, we are back together for part six in a six-part series, breaking down every single player who got drafted in the 2020 Major League Baseball first-year player draft. That's five rounds, 160 total selections, and an in-depth scouting report on each and every one of them. Today, who do I have with me, like always, to my proverbial right, I've got the owner of Prospects Worldwide himself, the behemoth of barrels, Mr. Jake Tillinghast. Jake, uh, how's life treating you? It's not bad, not bad. Last podcast of the draft, and we're on to bigger and better things. Definitely better? Though. Yeah, man. Better? It sounds offensive. No, dude. These guys are prospects now, and we're moving on to where they are actually ranked in their lists. I think that's pretty exciting. And then getting to some 2021 draft stuff, I think that's pretty exciting as well. So not leaving these guys in the rearview mirror, but just kind of seeing where they land, more or less. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll get to those 2021 guys, I'm sure, I'm sure pretty soon. I know you've been doing some scouting already, uh, but I want to look at the other two guys that are gracing us with their presence today. We got an old favorite and a new guy that I think you're going to be happy with. So from the dugout edge, we have Zach Silverman. And from Giants perspective, all the way from the Philippines, we have Renzi Regadon. Renzi, I hear you're working with a on, on a Giants perspective directory. Do you want to tell us about it? Oh yeah, like it's a long-term project. It will take probably six to nine months. And the objective is to provide a really, really deep dive into the minor league pitching in the Giants farm system because there's actually zero supply of it. And who to supply it than me? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Zach, how, how are you though, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm staying cool in Texas where it was 105 degrees yesterday, but but we're we're surviving. I'm glad that I'm not in Texas with 105 heat. And Renzi, I am looking forward to the perspective coming out. Uh, it seems like something that I'll probably be throwing a couple dollars for. Is it is it going to be free? Is it do you pay for it? Actually, I'm still deciding on how to price it, but it's definitely going to be paid. It will help our financial situation here and my sister's going to college, so I'm just trying to help my sister out to be honest. Oh, dude, that's awesome. I will, I'll definitely be uh, purchasing myself some uh, Giants perspective information, if not to, to better myself on the knowledge of the system. But let's talk about the Giants a little bit later. I want to start off with uh, a team that always seems to be building a deeper and deeper farm system every single year. The San Diego Padres were the first team in the NLS we're going to be talking about. Their first selection was a fun one that I know a lot of people here at Prospects Worldwide are going to be excited about. We're talking Robert Hassel, prep outfielder from Tennessee. Obviously, all high schoolers have risk, but his bat seems unstoppable. And from what I'm seeing, he could be a true five-tool player. Jake, other than age and development risks that all prep kids have, what's his potential downfall? I, I think I think he has good tools all across the board, quite honestly. He shows good speed. He had a 6'5", uh, 6'5", at the 2019 PG National. Uh, he shows, like I said, a good hit tool. He shows power at times. The power might be the downfall, but I, I definitely think he's going to tap into it consistently, more or less, at the next level. He's got a good swing. He's got good mechanics. His hand-eye coordination is 
just incredible. He's, in my opinion, the best prep hitter, just pure hitter in the draft. I think the floor is tremendous here, and the ceiling could be even better if he starts tapping into that power more consistently. But I definitely think this is a home run with pick. Yeah, Jake, I totally agree with you. I think on, on the hit tool being, you know, the best in the prep class, it's a kid who's made very, very, very consistent, hard contact against, you know, all the top pitchers on the prep circuit. We haven't really found a pitcher that's been able to fool him yet. Um, I'm not quite sold on the power projection here just because over the summer there were times where he tried to kind of, you know, hit for more power. He tried to turn, hit, hit the ball a little farther, and it, it kind of opened up some holes in that perfect swing when that happened. And not now he probably, if he physically develops a little bit more, there's a chance he could start to, you know, get above average power. But he's he's not the biggest guy in the world. I, I think I'd be more inclined to just let him be a hit over power guy and go out there and try and post 400 on base percentages and not not worry about getting to 20 or more homers. Um, I'm I'm much much more sold on the hit tool than the power tool personally. I watched all the U18 high school prospects and Hassel really stood out for me. Hassel has just a tremendous hit tool. He performed very well there. Even though Soderstrom earned the tournament MVP, I think he's a really close second in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Hassel's bat a lot. I, I think it's going to be something special. I want to look at the next guy. The, the Padres stay in the prep ranks and they grab Justin Lang off the mound in Texas, uh, Lano High School. He's got a 100-mile-an-hour heater and a power slider. It seems like he has the stuff, but Jake, is he going to stay consistent enough to make the big league impact the Padres are looking for? There's definitely a chance. Lang is kind of an interesting kind of a story. He really picked up a lot of velocity on his fastball over the last kind of few months. He kind of picked up, I think, his 7 or 10 miles per hour on the fastball and just kind of really threw his name on the kind of the early rounds. Yeah, he's a great athlete. He has a really low effort delivery, more or less. The fastball generally sits 94, 96. It touches up to 99 as well, and even 100 at times. RPMs are at uh, 2,500, definitely above average. Gets some nice extension as well, about five and a half or five feet, four inches. Slider is definitely his second best pitch. It's an upper 80s pitch that gets some swing and misses. It's not a true wipeout pitch yet. Definitely has some work to do, but it flashes some 55 grades. And then the change up to distant third, about a 40, 45 grade pitch, but has some work to do. Once he kind of harnesses his whole new repertoire, I think he'll be better off. There is some bullpen risk here, but he does have good stuff. So there's not too much to worry about other than the potential of falling in the bullpen, in my opinion. Yeah, Lang's a really, really interesting arm. And first off, John, I got to correct you real quick. It's Lano. Uh, it's not Lano. Um, oh, I should have asked the, the Texan first. I apologize. It is Lano High School. I appreciate <laughs> you not saying Yano, though, which is the correct Spanish pronunciation. But yeah, so he's, he's really interesting. He's 6'4 with, you know, just this golden right arm that can fling the ball up to 100 miles an hour. And I I say fling, and I think I use that word intentionally because that's kind of what he's doing up there. He's got this really, really loose cannon of an arm, and he just kind of explodes towards the plate and just flings it forward towards the plate in the general direction at a really fast speed and says good luck to the batter. The the, com- the command is might not even get a 40 grade. It might be like a 35 grade command right now. Because, as I said, he's just kind of flinging the ball towards the plate. But the, the arm is so loose and so powerful that I, I don't really have any doubt that the Padres will be able to, you know, streamline his arm slot, get him consistent with his release point, and really turn him from a thrower to a pitcher. It, it's a really interesting upside pick. There's a ton of risk considering really that the velocity and the power in the arm is all he's got going for him right now. But, you know, immense upside here. And it'll be certainly be an interesting one to track. Well, I think that if he gets some of that polish from, you know, playing pro ball, getting better coaching, 
he really could rely on more than just that power stuff that he has and turn it into something special. But uh, let's move north of the border for the next one. The Padres select Owen Casey, uh, another outfielder. Watching videos of this Canadian swing, he, he looks like he has some real pop, and it's effortless and balanced. But I see some scouts saying there are some issues with his bat path. Jake, what do you see? I definitely see the big power potential. That's a fact. I have it as 660-rod power, and it definitely flashes some 70s. I wouldn't put it there just yet. I definitely have some questions with the hit tool. Bit of a load that can kind of cause him to struggle over his velocity up in the zone at times, and he's definitely going to see that at the next level. That's the way pitchers pitch now, so he's going to have to kind of figure out a little bit of a way to kind of combat that. But yeah, like I said, the power is really good here. He uses his lower half really well. Has some good weight shift does a really good job of opening and rotating his hips to kind of get some good power and some body torque. I definitely think he's a corner outfielder and the power kind of just profiles too well out there. And as he kind of fills out completely, I just don't see him kind of sticking in center, but it's a fun pick and adds a lot of power to the Padres system for sure. Sure. Oh uh, yeah. I, uh, I talked to Brian Reca. Uh, he covers the draft for, especially for the Giants. And he told me that he sees, uh, he sees borderline first round potential in him. The power really pops. The speed's pretty good and he probably fits in the corner outfield, but it's just, the power is just there, and I'm a huge fan of the power, to be honest. Yeah, personally, it's the power that's really exciting, and it's also the projection because he's you know this he's a big shouldered six four kid who you look at him, he's got a ton of room to grow into more power. I think he's got like the perfect power hitter's frame, and he already gets a ton of leverage out of his swing, and just seeing once he starts to fill out even more, he's really young. He's almost a year younger than Hassel. Um, because Hassel is old for the class, Casey's really young for the class. Once he starts to fill out, I think you could start seeing that maybe some consistently seventy, at least raw seventy raw power. Uh, the game, as Jake and Renzi hit on, I'm not so sure because the hit tool is a little questionable. His bat, the barrel's not in the zone for for super long. But the, you know, the Padres love to you know take risks on these guys and see what'll happen, and just hope that maybe the mechanical adjustments can help get his barrel in the zone longer and help him succeed against against pro pitching so i i guess i'm curious because when i'm watching the videos it just looks so effortless and fluid and it doesn't look like he's just torquing his way through the through the zone like so many young hitters do now what is it about his swing i look at it and i see effortlessness and you guys are saying there's mechanical issues i'm not a scout obviously so i'm not the end all be all of this but what's the issue there it's effortless for sure. It, it's just, you know, the path. It, it kind of goes in and out of the zone. And, you know, in batting practice, he can really crank them. So it, it's not that he's, like, choppy or anything. It's just you want to you just kind of iron out the, uh, the trajectory. Okay. Well, all right. I, uh, I'll cede to that. That makes some sense there. Uh, but l- let's, keep, let's keep rolling. Uh, the Padres have been doing some sneaky underslot so far in this draft. They saved 800000 on Hassel, another 50000 or so in the next two. They go and spend that plus a lot more signing the next kid, Cole Wilcox. He's a first-round talent that can be considered a real steal because people didn't think he would sign. But they got it done with a huge overslot at $2.5 million, more than the slot. Renzi, what makes Wilcox so special to cause this type of signing? Uh, Wilcox has a really, really high ceiling, to be honest. Like one of the highest ceilings out of the preaching prospects this year. I'm actually not the biggest fan of it, but my fellow Giants prospects Prospect fans are really high on him, to be honest. All I, I see 95 to 98 on the fastball, but the finger placement is right on the three-quarter slot, so it definitely has some sink on it. It's not really a true riding fastball. The slider is a plus pitch if located well. However, I see some pitches that 
he leaves it hanging in the zone. College hitters are going to be overpowered with it, but I'm not really sure about the pro ball hitters. Changeup also flashes above average, but it's a very, very far pitch for me, to be honest. The issue for me is the command, definitely the command of, of his fastball. He has shown some flashes of it, really locating it well on the black this year. Last year, he, he couldn't locate it very well. So, yeah, it's pretty tough evaluation, to be honest. I don't know if he'll be a reliever or a starter in Pro Bowl currently. Hmm, okay. I think that's a good a good explanation there, Renzi. I'm a little bit higher on him just because I kind of I see him trending in the positive direction with the command, at least with the control. He was throwing, as you said, he was throwing a lot more strikes this year. And I think if he can take the the step first of having first, he had neither last year. This year, he's got the control, which is the ability to throw strikes. And I think he can kind of move into the ability to start to spot it. Uh, I think one key for me here is the youth, since he's a draft eligible sophomore. He's only just turning. 21 instead of you know some of these guys who are like 21 and a half and that does matter so I'm, I'm hoping that you know he's a huge guy at 6'5 and he looks like he's still growing into his body and I think as he continues to you know physically develop and grow into that body and kind of get a little more coordinated he'll start to throw more strikes and in that case you've got the potential for uh, you know two or three plus pitches the, the changeup can look really good at times as well so it's high upside but for you know such a huge overslot bonus, the Padres got to be pretty certain it's going to work out. Uh, like you, I'm not certain it'll work out, but he's he's definitely trending in the right direction with pretty explosive stuff. Yeah, I like Wilcox a lot. Like you guys untouched, there's definitely some risk involved. But um, I'm a fan. I think if he re- would have returned, like he kind of thought he was going to after he kind of slipped to the third round, I think we would have been looking at him probably as like a mid first round pick, maybe back into the first round pick next year. But just kind of with the season getting shut down, I think that had a big impact on his just overall, like like Zach was touching on. He was kind of trending up and then his body was kind of taking the next step forward and kind of putting him on the map to kind of be more or less not a workhorse starting pitcher, but a consistent guy you can kind of count on the kind of draft in that early round. But the money kind of dictates that with 3.3 million signing bonus. And other than that, I definitely like Wilcox. Like I said, there's some risk, but the fastball, as Renzi touched on, has a nice natural sink with 2150 uh, RPM on it. But yeah, the sliders, 84-87, has some nice bite, as Renzi said at times. It kind of has been inconsistent. It has 20, 2050 on the RPM, so it's not the highest RPM pitch, but it has some effectiveness to it. The changeup is definitely the second best pitch, in my opinion. has some nice deception to it, and it gets some decent whiz percentages. He got his money, so I think it's a, def- a great situation for him and the team. If the Padres organization are probably going to tinker with Wilcox's mechanics, I think it will be the best step for him to take because I see some mechanical flaws in his delivery like he doesn't drive off his back leg very well and his arm action causes a bit of stress on on the shoulder specifically and he has he has a similar mechanics to Jake Peavy it's very it's very up it's very torso torso heavy and I think there's really a there's some injury risk to be honest well I appreciate that because Jake knows I love a good player comp. So anytime we have any sort of comparison, whether it's pitching or injury, whatever it is, to a specific player that people know, that's my that's my cup of tea. I like that, Renzi. I appreciate that. But let's keep rolling down the board there. The Padres go and they grab Levi Thomas, a pitcher who, I, out of Troy, I think statistically is a beast. In only 23 innings this year, he notched 42 strikeouts, only six walks and one run. It's a .39 ERA. That's not lack of competition. He pitched against Florida and Michigan State in those four games. It's not the small sample size either. It's a career ERA under three with a strikeout rate of 12. Zach, tell me about his stuff. Is it gonna? Is he going to be able to translate these numbers on a major league scale? 
I think he will. And I also think it's impossible. If you watch this guy pitch once, you're going to love him. He's, he's a really fun guy to watch pitch. He, uh, so he's got a low 90s fastball. You know, it's not overwhelming velocity. He's got a 90, 93. Um, but it's a, he gets really good ride on it, and it really takes off out of his hand. Uh, it, makes, it makes it tough to pick up. He's got a good slider as well. It's you know, probably an average pitch, but it, he can flash some 55s with some good depth down in the zone. Uh, overall, the, the command is you know solid average, 50 to 55, but it plays up because he'll just pound the zone and attack you, and he's, not, he, he's pretty fearless on the mound. So that 50-55 command plays as almost like a 60 in games just because he's such, you know, such a competitor. And that's the next thing. You, you watch him pitch, and he is you know kind of like Mad Max Scherzer out on the mound, just glaring down hitters and competing his butt off and pounding his chest. He, he's a really fun guy to watch throw. Probably comes from being a smaller guy. He's 5'11", kind of stocky. I think in some, in some organizations, you let him start, see what he can do. Uh, in the Padres organization, they're so deep in every, just so deep everywhere. You probably, he ends up, he probably ends up in the bullpen just because he's a little bit smaller and they got so many starters. But, you know, that fastball slider combination combined with that bulldog mentality on the mound could make him a weapon in the, in the uh, bullpen. I'm really excited to see what he does. Even if he might not be the most statistically exciting player at the major league level, he'll just be fun to watch. Okay, so so let's move down to the final pick for the Padres. They grab the cool baseball name, Jagger Haynes. And outside the name, Haynes is interesting. Unranked by Baseball America and MLB Pipeline, but he's from Mackenzie Gore's backyard, so maybe the Padres just know the area well and they have they found like a hidden gym. All I know is he's a long lefty that can throw strikes well. Zach, what do you have on him? Yeah, so at first I know the Padres are really, really high on him. Uh, the Padres really like this guy. He's you know, a 6'3 lefty with a really athletic delivery. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of a drop-and-drive kind of a deal where you're going to have to you know, smooth it out a little bit. But he's also he doesn't turn 18 until September. He was the youngest pitcher drafted in the entire draft. So they have plenty of time to kind of be patient with him and figure things out. But, you know, you got the low 90s fastball. You got, you know, good breaking ball, good changeup, which is, you know, not always a given. A lot of these kids, you have to project on the changeup. His is pretty solid. But it's just, you know, this kind of frame of a baseball player that you really like to look at. Just a lot of baseline kind of skills that are just kind of ready to get put together. It's, it's a lot of projection, of course, because he's so young. But if you're starting off building an impact starter that you want to be an impact starter like six years down the line or something, this is kind of where you start out. It's it, He's got the baseline right there with the fastball, the slider changeup, and, and, you know, the build. And he's a lefty, which is perfect. I just want to add that a Padres farm system player named Seth Franco is in the same facility as Jagger Haynes, so maybe the Padres has some a bit of connection with him. I think the Padres are really, really banking on the projectability here based on age and projection of his stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, the Padres are, are certainly looking to keep that farm system to be one of the best in baseball, like it like it always is. It never fails that they'll be loaded in single-A ball, and, and one day soon they'll be loaded in major league level. But let's look at the team that, before the draft, was considered to have one of the worst farms in baseball. They get an immediate star to jumpstart the farm with Zach Veen. He's going to slide right in at the top. We've already heard those 18-year-old Larry Walker comps, you know, hit 60 hits, 60 power. He can play the field, run well. He can do everything, right? Jake, what's Veen's ceiling, and what's his most likely outcome? His ceiling is enormous. I mean, especially in Coors Field, that's going to be an absolute show if that's his home park. That's pretty exciting, to be to be straight honest. But, yeah, there's 
probably the most projectable player in the draft, quite honestly. 6'4", 190. They're just incredible twitch and athletic and just the power and this torque and the swing and just the power behind it is just quite honestly incredible. Um, just a lot of stuff to like here, obviously. Just the numbers he can possibly put up in cores are just going to be absolutely ridiculous. And none of those will be skewed from cores numbers. This kid's legit, so don't get caught up in that. Yeah, I think um, Veen's swing is perfect for Coors Field. And there are guys who generate power in different ways. You know, you've got the Austin Hendricks of the world who have, like, ridiculous bat speed. Or, you know, like an Aaron Sabato who has just this brute strength. Zach Veen is more of a guy who's got this really projectable swing with lots of loft and leverage. It's almost like a Cody Bellinger-looking swing. And I think that's going to play really well in the thin air because it's the kind of swing that puts a lot of carry on the ball. The ball doesn't carry anywhere any better than it does in cores. I mean, Veen is a kind of guy where he has really, really good plate discipline, which helps his hit tool play up. The hit tool is kind of average. There's some swing and miss, as Jake said. But he's really good at you know identifying balls from strikes and breaking balls from fastballs. And that's going to help him as he gets more coordinated with the swing, with his hand-eye coordination. And that's why I think Jake doesn't have any concern about the hit tool, and neither do I, and neither should you. But, you know, the power is really exciting. He's been starting to tap into it. Most of it's been projection, but the spring he was coming out and hitting baseballs, like ridiculous distances. This kid's going to be a perfect fit in cores. I mean, there's risk with every high schooler, but I think the upside is so great here. The the Rockies never dreamed he was going to get to number nine. I I thought there was no shot he made it this far in the draft. It was kind of shocking. There were rumors at the very beginning that the Orioles were going to take him at two. Yeah, yeah, this is, it's a surprise that he got here, but it's, you know, the Rockies couldn't be happier. It's a, it's a perfect fit. Yeah, I, I mean, Bellinger in cores is something that you simulate on OOTP. That doesn't happen in real life. If, if he reaches his potential, like you're saying, it's just going to be phenomenal. Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, another guy that's going to help that farm system from the get-go right now is Drew Romo, their next pick. He's a professional catcher. As an 18-year-old, he's got excellent receiving skills, a great arm. The question, Jake, is the bat going to play? Start off with the defense is legit. I think he is by far the best prep defensive uh, catcher in the draft. This kid is legit. Potential gold glove uh, catcher behind the plate. He does everything so well. I really have a lot of faith that he'll just, regardless, even if a hit tool or anything doesn't materialize at all, which I think it will, but if it doesn't, this kid's still going to find a way to kind of rise through the ranks and carve out some type of role in the league. Just, he's too good defensively not to. I mean, you see it all the time. Or you find a way to make the major leagues if you're good at catching. It's just the way it is. But on the bat, I definitely think he has some potential. It's not going to be anything special. I mean, Coors is definitely going to help his numbers, but he's going to have some good, like def- definitely some good walk rates and OBP numbers. He has a really good ad- advanced eye at the plate. The hit tool is definitely going to be a hit over power, like I said. I would put a hit, uh, the hit tool at about a 45 future power. I wouldn't put too high of a grade on it, probably about a 40, but in right now, it's not really showing much at all. It's definitely got a lot, of, a lot to show, but overall, he'll definitely carve out a role. It's just if he can be a starter or even an all-star caliber catcher, it kind of just hinders on that hit tool, but I definitely see some type of role in the future. I mean, Jeff Mathis was 36 years old, still playing baseball with a sub 200 batting average. So if you can catch, you can play. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm usually not a fan of drafting high school catchers early in the draft, especially if they're glove first, but I can actually get behind this Drew Romo pick because I think his glove is going to be so valuable in that Rocky system. And with the Rockies up in course field, because I don't know how it's going to be once they reorganize the minor leagues, but for now, it's not just Coors Field. All of the Rockies minor league affiliates are really, really, really hitter friendly. 
and it'll be really tough. It's it's tough for pitchers to develop there. It's tough for your confidence. And I think having a guy like Drew Romo, who is going to be just this ideal defensive catcher, I think will really help it, the pitching development. But of course, they didn't draft him to develop their other pitchers. They drafted him for the big leagues. And I think he's really going to help in the big leagues as well, being able to work with pitchers and help them get the most out of their stuff in that tough environment and being able to trust him in the dirt, being able to trust him going inside, going outside, hold down the running game, not have to worry about runners once they're on base. I think that's really big. The bat, not sold on. Uh, it's it's a fairly ordinary bat. It's a little bit of power projection in there. You know, he's got some long arms and legs. It's got a good good approach at the plate that you'd expect from a catcher. But I think overall, it's, it's more of an ordinary bat that I think will play at cores, maybe 10 to 15 homers a year, decent on base percentages. So, you know, enough to start. Um, but it, it's the glove. Well, let's keep building this farm up. The the Rockies' next grab, Chris McMahon. McMahon was one of the top guys on the collegiate national team. And and he can sit in the upper 90s on the mound. Zach, what do you think he needs to improve on? Really, not a lot. I'm really high on Chris McMahon. I think, you know, people look at him as kind of a high floor, low ceiling kind of guy, but I, I don't see him that way. I see him as a high floor, you know, good ceiling kind of guy just because he's a legitimate pitcher. It's, as you said, the fastball is good. It's a power fastball, you know, kind of low to mid-90s, up and up towards 98 at best. But we're also talking about, I think the, the secondary pitches are good. Uh, the slider can flash plus. It, it's a really good pitch. It's usually above average, but it can flash plus. Changeup is really good as well. It gets really good fade on that pitch. And he commands all three pitches. You know, it's not 60 grade command, but it's you know 55 grade command. And really, there's no weaknesses here. It's a you know durable frame with the velocity and two above average to plus secondary pitches. I see a lot to like. Coors Field will be it'll be interesting to see how he handles it. I don't think he's like not fit for Coors, but I don't think he's you know how you draw him up for Coors Field. You know what you want the bat missing high octane guys in Coors Field or the ground ball pitchers. I don't think McMahon is more straightforward, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see. But in terms of his his stuff, I don't see any downsides to him. Yeah, he he took a big step forward. I think in twenty twenty, his body kind of matured a lot. So I'm I'm kind of on the same page as Zach. I, I definitely think I don't think he'll be an ace or ever really even have that potential by any means, but definitely slotted in as a number three, number four, just kind of matters, like Zach said, again, how he kind of performs in cores when he's not the best profile for it, but it is what it is. I definitely like the pitcher as a, as a whole, so I don't fault the Rockies at all for taking him and just kind of seeing what happens, but it's more of a pitchability over stuff kind of a guy, but the pitchability is pretty good and the command is just, just as good, so there's not really any concern there. The slider, it's a nice pitch, pretty consistent. It's just not going to miss bats or anything just going to kind of get some soft contact with it but overall i think he's a number three four starter and i kind of expect him to go a little definitely earlier in the draft maybe even fold four rounds sooner well i like mcmahon and hopefully cores doesn't eat him up let's move on to a guy that truly another one that i fell in love with statistically we're talking sam weatherly he held opponents to a 0.096 batting average that's less than 10 percent and was sitting with a 17 strikeouts per nine it seems to all, all be at the hands of a pretty lethal slider. What else does he offer, and can he be a major league arm? Uh, Renzi? Uh, yeah, actually, it's pretty split between a starting role and a relief role, to be honest. But for me, he's just pretty exciting. He's a two-way player in Clemson in his freshman year, then shifted entirely to pitching in his sophomore year, then is absolutely dominant this year. Cap it up with a seven-inning, no-hit, 11-strikeout performance against USC. He's really athletic on the mound, and he shows it in his mechanics. But yeah, his low 80 slider is his best pitch. He can actually locate it pretty well, better than his fastball at the moment, so it's pretty pretty bizarre, to be honest. The slider is a plus pitch. He can get a ton of swing and miss with it, and he can locate it per quality strikes down in the zone, 
either inside or outside against both hitters. The problem actually is his fastball control, not command, control. His fastball can reach mid-90s, but he has actually no control on it. And with a guy with his athleticism, I don't know, he just lacks the lacks feel for it. The jury's out between starting and relieving, to be honest. I'm leaning reliever because the control is just a big, too much issue for me. Yeah, I think you're right. That slider is just, it's a really dominant pitch. That it, You know, sometimes you have those harder sliders that can get up into the upper 80s and are almost like cutters. And then sometimes you have the more... The, the bigger, loopier sliders. Weatherly's is definitely one of those loopier kind of frisbee sliders that has a ton of horizontal movement and makes it really hard to square up. The fastball really explodes out of his hand, even and it kind of plays above its velocity, you know, low to mid-90s. The way it rides out of his hand makes it even tougher to square up, and I think it makes it tougher for him to control it. He's got he's got that really loose arm that, that is able to make that fastball do what it does, but I think he doesn't really have feel for his arm slot. I think it might move too much for his own good at this point. That, that might also explain the strike throwing problems but and and then at Coors Field it's very unforgiving and it, it could probably push him to the bullpen just because you, you know you start missing the zone then all of a sudden at Coors Field someone puts an eight spot on you I'd, l- I'd like to see how that would play up in the bullpen because I think it's a really explosive two-pitch mix that'd be really fun to watch like McMahon it's just a matter of if Coors is gonna eat him up and I guess on his own self if he can have that type of fastball control uh, that's interesting I've never seen a slider be more commandable than a fastball that that's something to take a look at in the future for sure but the next guy taken is a fun one it seems to be a player without much national attention it's a local pick so obviously the Rockies have seen him prior we're talking Case Williams it seems that if Case had a season this year he likely would have gone higher but the Rockies were fortunate no other team really got good looks at him is this a potential steal here Jake grabbing a pitcher that's already used to pitching at this altitude um, I definitely think it helps. It's definitely can't hurt. Just off of that, I definitely like the stuff he has. His fastball is not overpowering, but he's definitely got some projectability to him. It's kind of an 89, 93. His touch is 95 at times. There's recently in a bullpen. It's not a ton or not a big RPM pitch. It's just 2150 to 2300. So about league average, just slightly below the average as well. But he still got some decent swing and misses. I'm not sure if that's just from the competition level out there or he actually is able to get some good deception on it. He has some decent deception, but... I'm weary on if he can kind of continue that swing and miss stuff kind of going forward, but the changeup works really well off of it as well. And then the curveball needs some work, but it's kind of backs up on him a bit at times and kind of just can't consistently get that break that he wants. The changeup, like I mentioned before, it's kind of a 1600, 1700 RPM pitch. It has some decent fade to it. Like I said, it works well with the fastball, but he definitely got to pick up that breaking ball if he wants to become a starter. If not, he could become a two-pitch bullpen guy. Just a scouting question real quick. You said the changeup's at 1600. With sliders, you want it to be like 25, 26 or something like that. Fastball somewhere in the same range. Why is the changeup so much lower of an RPM? Just pure scouting. When it's lower, you're trying to get more natural drop. It's lower spin rate, the ball is going to more or less have that dropping action. When you have that higher spin rate, like a fastball, when you want that high spin rate, that's why it's kind of what's... It's not better to have a high spin rate fastball by any means, but that's kind of where you, like I mentioned before, you get those swing and misses from. Um, and it's kind of just threw me off a little bit that he was able to generate a lot more kind of with that lower RPM. But just with the changeup, you you don't want a high RPM with it because without it, you're not going to get that kind of vertical and kind of horizontal drop to it. So 1600, 1700 is definitely good. Yeah, it's about, it's about like a league average changeup. It's slightly below um, league average kind of in the RPM range. But um, I've seen even some slower change up even in like the 1400s or so, but just kind of just to kind of touch on that, if you just go to a splitter, you're going to kind of see that with a high drop and stuff. Just not saying he had a splitter, but just kind of put that in perspective. 
Mm -hmm. I'm just going to drop a ton, and that's going to have even lower RPM. So it's kind of have that higher rising effect with a higher RPM, dropping effect with that lower RPM. Sure. I, I didn't want to just sprint past that without addressing it because I know we've always been talking about RPM for the last you know six episodes, and I've never actually asked to break down what we're looking for there. So that's good. Uh, it doesn't by any means mean your pitch is good. It's just kind of a metric to kind of help gauge it by no means. I mean, there's definitely guys out there that have crazy high spin rates and metrics and all that, and they just don't post results. So it's a starting point. It's not an end game result by any means. So don't just hear, oh, this guy's got a high spin rate and think he's automatically good. It's got to definitely post results still. Okay. Well, sorry, I didn't mean to take us on that journey off to the side, but uh, Zach, do you have anything on Case Williams? Uh, mostly what Jake said. I think he covered him really well. Uh, I think in addition, you know, it's a kid with a lot of starter traits. He's got a good frame, 6'3", look, looks pretty durable. Um, and it's interesting, you wonder if the curve, he's been pitching at altitude this whole time. You wonder if, if this kid was pitching in Florida or something, if that would be like a 55-grade curveball. And that, you know, it's tougher It's tougher to get that good spin on a curve in, in altitude. So a lot of other guys might come to Colorado and struggle with it while he's already got a leg up. And it'll be interesting to see how how the altitude has affected his curveball to this point, because you know we don't Colorado's not a big state for prep pitching. We had Roy Halladay, and you know that's about it. And now we got we got a uh, Case Williams coming out of Douglas County High School down in uh, down in Castle Rock. Well, the next guy taken is the very last pick for the Rockies. We're looking at Jack Blomgren. He's a defense first shortstop that could have some real upside if he didn't have to bat. But I'm looking at a 45 hit tool and a 30 power. Zach, can he maintain enough offensive impact to even be a major league caliber shortstop? Yeah, I think I think it's more of a 50 hit tool than a 45. I don't think we should sell him too short. Uh, he, he's, but I, I don't think he's going to start by any means. But I, I think he'll get there. It, it's not the world's most exciting profile. He's been a really consistent performer over at Michigan. Since the start of the 2019 season, he's got a 420 on base percentage, which I know some some Coloradoans will approve of. Um, <laughs> it, it's a line drive bat, you know, not a ton of power. He, he's kind of just your typical get it done kind of player. He'll go up, he'll, he'll drop some line drives in, mostly singles, some doubles and triples along the way, and it's really you know just enough to you know justify putting him on the roster because he's going to play a good shortstop. He's going to get the job done there. Again, he's not the flashy kind of Javier Baez type. He's more just you know get it done on both sides of the ball. You know, not the world's most exciting profile, but you need these kinds of players. Okay. Super utility that can play solid defense and hit, I guess, occasionally is still a a major league team. I mean, hell, Ryan Flaherty played for the Orioles forever, and that's exactly his profile. So he couldn't hit for a lick, but he could play defense. So it looks like the Rockies had some excellent picks here. Uh, Hopefully it'll be enough to kind of make their farm system relevant again. But let's move on to the reason why Renzi is with us today, the San Francisco Giants. Renzi, I'm just going to direct the questioning to you for all these picks. And Zach and Jake, obviously feel free to pitch in at any point. Your information is valuable and we need it. But Renzi, this is the reason you're here. The first guy up for the Giants is already a huge question mark in my eyes. They grabbed Patrick Bailey, catcher out of NC State. And I'm curious, they have Joey Bart, who they just drafted two years ago. And then they draft a ready-to-play college catcher. It's nothing against Bailey. He's an excellent player. It just seems they always they always say don't draft for position. But this one seems on the nose. What's, what's his fit in the organization? Actually, pretty interesting pick. I am on the side of pitching, to be honest, at pick 13. Then, bam, Patrick Bailey, 13. What the hell? <laughs> However, Bailey is an accomplished catcher at NC State. 
He's a switch hitter, which is a plus. You know, only Yasmani Grandal, Victor Martinez are like the two catchers that comes to mind. He has more loft in his left side, and more line drive, and a better swing on his right side. On both sides, he has good strike zone control, good plate vision, good plate discipline. And he's shifting towards a three-true outcome approach entering to 2020. So let's see if it holds up in pro ball. But defense is actually his best tool. Gabe Kapler, the Giants manager, already raves about Bailey's poise and ability to handle a pitching staff. He's got good fit for the position. His crouch is very good. And the only question for him is receiving. But I think his receiving is actually better than what others think. His arm is above average, but his arm utility, meaning throwing from multiple angles but retaining accuracy, is actually plus. So we're getting a really good catcher here. But it's pretty bizarre, to be honest, a pretty bizarre pick. But yeah, it's a good pick. Where does he lie beside Joey Bart? Is he going to usurp Joey Bart as the new catcher of the future? Is he his new backup? Are they playing hand in hand? Actually, there's a big gap between Joey Bart and Ricardo Genoves, the next best catcher in the system. So Patrick Bailey slots right in the middle of that. So you are you are getting two major league ready catchers defensively. Offensively, there's still plenty of work to be done, but defensively, you will get good catchers. You can interchange them a bit on a game-to-game basis. It not only helps prolong their career, but also help improve their bat as well. Positional versatility is the number one thing in the Giants system. So if Bailey and Bart can go play other positions, it's definitely a plus. Yeah, I want to touch on that uh, big time, like on the position eligibility and all that kind of stuff with those two. I think, I just want to go on record. I think this is honestly an incredible pick. I don't have any questions with it. I absolutely love it. Um, Due to the fact that, especially now with the DH coming into the NL, it has slight um impact on what i'm about to say but more or less i think it just is honestly probably the way baseball is probably gonna not go completely but i think the giants are kind of starting a different kind of trend more or less they're gonna have two if you think about they can literally put out an all-star caliber catcher pretty much night in night out and they're still able to get both bats which are still pretty good bats um in the lineup on a night-to-night basis with that DH coming, and they both have the ability to step in over at first base and even have the athleticism to kind of play third base on some nights. They're not going to have to start there by any means, but I think this is awesome. You're going to keep them fresh nonstop. They're going to have healthy legs, healthy bats, and their bats aren't going to struggle due to the fact they're catching 120-plus games. They can each catch 70, 80 games and stay fresh while being in the lineup 140-plus times, unlike most catchers, and I just think this is an incredibly smart move they saw kind of what happened with Buster Posey late in his career and I don't think they want that to happen to Bart and that's definitely didn't just say okay we're gonna go draft the catcher first round I think it just kind of fell in their laps because they saw Bailey as the best available at the time and like you mentioned before you don't draft for position or want or anything in the first round you draft best available because baseball is the most random outcome and is who like 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 we always say any of these guys can be a star any of these guys can just turn out to not be good but i think this is like i said incredible and it's just something that the new guy with the giants is doing far anxiety he did the same thing with the with the dodgers they just haven't really had that kind of formula at the major league level yet but with ruiz and cartier they were kind of building the same kind of formula over there so i definitely think it's his philosophy and his plan to have two deep strong catchers and i'm excited to see what happens i guess my my qualm on that is if you go into it with the plan of two deep strong catchers then you're getting you know let's call it 50-50, 81 games out of one guy, 81 games out of the next guy. Who who fell down the board? Garrett Mitchell fell down the board 
six, seven picks later, you could have 162 games of Garrett Mitchell. I, I feel like you're limiting the value by drafting Patrick Bailey to to play alongside Joey Bart. Yeah, that's definitely true. And that's are the qualms of the Giants fans, to be honest. Like, there are other players in the board that fits better depth-wise. And you can look at other players that uh, that fell back, that fell down the board. And you can probably think, yeah, it's a sensible pick. It's not too bad, to be honest. It's a boring pick, but it actually pretty works. Farhan Saidi is actually pretty good at this. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm on. I'm totally on board with this pick. I think this is going to work out really, really well for them. I, I'm totally on Team Garrett Mitchell. I would have loved if they drafted Garrett Mitchell. But aside from that, I, th- I think this works really well. I don't think it's a problem to have to split them 81-81 because you know you have you're gonna you're gonna have the universal DH at that point. That's that's pretty much a given. So you know that they DH, they play first base, you move them around, you keep them fresh. And their defense gets better at that point. And yeah, I don't have a problem with this at all. And if, you know, at some point you decide they're coming up and actually we don't want to go this route, having one of the best catching prospects in the game to dangle as trade bait could net you a star. And I, I think this is a really good problem to have. I have no issue with this pick. I think everybody is right who is happy about this. Well, I, I know I'm fired up on this Patrick Bailey pick, but I, I want to move over to the next one that I'm going to be, uh, I guess, joyfully fired up over because... Uh, Rinzi, I don't know if you know this about me or not, but I love me some two-way players. And this mm-hmm. guy right here, <laughs> Casey Schmidt, is the potential to be a two-way guy. And that just gets me, oh, gets my blood rolling, man. Uh, he's got a legit power in the bat, and he's a potential closer with fastball-splitter combo on the mound. How excited should I be here? Is he going to stick two-way, or should he stay at one position and make me sad? If you're actually thinking of a Brendan McKay, you'll probably be pretty disappointed. But if you're thinking actually Michael Lorenzen, you're actually going to be pretty happy, to be honest. So Smith is not very high on everyone's board. He's like borderline top 100, but there's actually really intriguing tools on his skill set, both defensively and pitching-wise. So his best tool in the field is defense, so a potential go glover at third base. So he's got a combination of athleticism, range, footwork, and arm strength and arm accuracy to play on the position for a very long time. Uh, the problem for him is the bat. He only actually hit like five homers in sophomore year and actually hit none this year. So actually tapping to the power is the problem that the Giants coaches will try to solve with Smith. So the approach is actually pretty spray hitter to be honest. So he can probably adopt a more pull approach. But that's actually it on the hitting side. So on the pitching side, he has actual closer potential, but I see him more as strictly a setup guy, to be honest. His fastball has a mistake in the low 90s, then his splitter is his best pitch. Like 750 to 1000 RPM is actually pretty low on a splitter. So he can actually get legit tumbling action on the pitch. You can, you can never know what will happen on the pitch. So uh, I actually see Casey Schmidt as like the ceiling, the true ceiling of Casey Schmidt as a 2019 Evan Longoria. Like he will give you above average defense. Then he will give you a pretty average power ability with some speed. So then pitching wise, you'll probably get somewhere in the, I don't know, give any passable splitter reliever. So it's, it's actually going to be pretty good to be honest, pretty value pick. So I'm, I think, Renzi, I'm going to have to say I see him a little bit differently than you do. Uh, I'm a lot higher on the bat than I am on the on the arm. Uh, and I, I had him well inside my top 100. I had him at 62 on my list. So I, I like his bat a lot. Um, he, he's the kind of guy, you, he got to power on the Cape Cod League. Eight home runs is a lot for the Cape, especially with those wood bats against good competition. The power hasn't really shown up at San Diego State, but 
he finds the barrel really consistently and he, he gets a lot of leverage out of his swing. And I think it's got a strong six, two frame that enables him to put some impact on the baseball. I think he was battling some like nagging injury issues this spring. Yeah. He has um, a third like meniscus. Yeah. So, and I think that probably impacted his, his offensive output this year a little bit. So I'm actually, I'm bought in on the bat. I think he's a guy who has a, a very good approach at the plate their ability to find the barrel consistently and enough strength to translate that into power once he starts moving over into pro ball and you start to change up his approach a little bit. So I think you're going to have an above average hitter here at third base. Agreed on the defense, it's it's above average defense. He'll definitely be able to handle third base and handle it well when third basemen are shifting now and having to play out of position. He'll be totally comfortable with that. On the mound, y'all know I don't like college relievers. I think for a guy who's topping out at 94 in relief – you typically you'd rather see that out of a starter and then let him take the the bump forward once he jumps to the bullpen. It's a little bit light for a reliever to me, especially if he's going to be focusing on hitting. I mean, you could, I think you could get a solid seventh inning, maybe seventh or eighth inning guy out of this. But with the way I see his bat, at least, and you know it could change as it develops. But the way I see his bat, I think you just let him hit. That would be my the way I'd go on this. Sorry, John. Oh, you're just a party. I, I'm done with you. I don't even. I see him as a two player, as a two way player, John. Don't worry. Rinzi, you're you're in. You're taking over for this podcast for the rest of it. Zach, I'll talk to you. I guess next week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's move on. I, I, I want to tell you about the next pick, Nick Swinney. His number one pitch being a plus curveball and a fastball with well modest life. He hasn't really been lights out as a starter. He's been playing out of the pen a lot at NC State and, and has improved his walk rate a ton. He's down from five to two. But can he actually throw quality strikes and get outs at the major league level? What do you think about him? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think he can throw quality strikes on any of his three pitches, to be honest, right now. The only issue for him that he'll try to fix is his mechanics. has a pretty big head whack, and his lead leg is actually bent, so he kind of loses some velocity at times. His best pitch, actually, is his plus changeup for me. Even though he has a pretty true vertical arm slot, he actually has good fade on the pitch and good hard late fade on the pitch. It can actually get both lefties and righties out. So his fastball is only upper 80s to low 90s at the moment, but he can actually hit 95 miles an hour. His actually best trait is his ability to locate his fastball curveball and change up all over the plate with quality strikes in any count against any hitter. So he's very competitive on the mound. I think the problem here is the velocity, how they can potentially improve the velocity, it's going to be a pretty big problem that the Giants coaches will have. Yeah, Renzi, I think you're right about that. I think without a step forward in his velocity, I don't, I don't think this will work. But the good news is he's pretty new to starting. So you're kind of hoping that as he gets more time in the rotation, he is able to kind of build up that, that strength and learn to hit, hit, get in the low 90s more often as he, as he starts more and more. Yeah, I, I love the three-pitch mix, um, as, as Renzi touched on. It's also interesting. He gets It's a pretty crossfire delivery that kind of hides the ball well and makes his pitches kind of play off each other really well because it's hard to pick them up out of his hands. I think another, another thing you got to bank on here, though, is that is that command, it's, it's really good this year. But in previous years, it's been kind of shaky. It, it took a big step forward kind of when he jumped to the rotation this year. And you got to bank on him holding that because with the velocity right now, as it is, the command is what's making his pitches play up. If the command takes any steps back, then he doesn't have the velocity to fall back on. 
I have my question marks. I personally don't think he has what it takes to be a starter, and I also don't think he has what it takes to be a back-end reliever. So I'm pretty low on this pick overall. Um, just like they were saying, there's just not a ton of kind of upside here, and I am down on the command more than they are. So I definitely see some problems here. But you know what's actually interesting on Sweeney? He has 21.2 inches of vertical break on his fastball, even though it's only on the low 90 range. So it's actually crazy good in terms of rising action on the upper half of the zone. So if you have him throw a high fastball and help him improve his curveball better, make it less loopy and more snappy, I think he would have a role in the rotation as long as he fixes his mechanics. That's a good note to touch on. It just, at least in my opinion, if you start having him pitch up in the zone like you want him to with that, with that action, especially with, in my opinion, like I said, the command, you just got to be worried, especially when you're not touching high 90s and you're just kind of pitching up in the zone at 89, 93. If you're missing anywhere, you're in a lot of trouble. So I would just be weary pitching up in the zone with that velocity if you can't consistently command it. Well, let's let's push through here. Uh, the Giants actually had back-to-back picks here in the second compensatory round. Uh, they grabbed Jimmy Glowinky out of Dallas Baptist as a shortstop with a plus bat. And he does kind of make effortless line drives, but is he actually going to stick it short? Is he better suited elsewhere? It's kind of another tweener role where he doesn't have enough range to stick it short, but he doesn't have enough power to stick it third. What does his role look like for the Giants? So the problem that I see with Glovenke is that he's more of a second base than a shortstop or a third baseman because of the lack of the power in his bat and the lack of the and the lack of arm strength that he has and lack of range. So. He actually lacks a lot of tools aside from the hit tool. However, the hit tool is almost the it's almost the entire package to be honest. He controls the strike zone well. He actually has good walk rates and doesn't strike out a lot, doesn't swing and miss inside the strike zone a lot. So the problems that I see is that he doesn't hit for a lot of power, doesn't have speed, doesn't have the arm strength to stick at second base or third base. He actually has pretty good hands in the dirt, so the potential is there for a pretty good second baseman at the at the highest level. However, I see more of a utility role here. Yeah, I think I'm going to jump on board with that hit tool. It's a really good hit tool, and I think we talk about the lack of power. That doesn't mean he's a slap hitter. This is a guy who will hit the ball hard, hit line drives, and you know doubles because he makes consistent contact. But it's consistent hard contact. I think he'll run into some home runs. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a power hitter or anything, but I think just because he finds the barrel so consistently, he did that at Dallas Baptist and he did that on the Cape as well. To me, it's a it's a kind of a fringe starter. He, he might be able to kind of work his way into a starting role if he continues to tap in, you know, 10 to 15 home run power just because he will post high on base percentages. Uh, but, you know, more likely than not, I think it's more of a, a bench bat. Okay. Well, if you don't mind, let, let's go on to the next guy. We got Kyle Harrison. Uh, he was a member of the U18 national team, so he's obviously talented. Uh, the Giants probably select him because he, he's he's a local prep pitcher uh, right out of De La Salle, right across the bay. His scouting reports show me 50 or more everywhere, but nothing higher than 55. Is this like a low ceiling, high floor pick? I mean, there's nothing wrong with a number four or number five starter if that's what he is, but is that kind of what we're looking at? There's actually more ceiling than you think of, John, to be honest, because I think okay. it's a number two or number three at the at the at its maximum. Ooh. You know? Like if you have if you put Kyle Harrison to UCLA and forego his Giants commitment, I think he would have the same career as Asa Lacey. And he will actually go top ten or top five, <laughs> to be honest. Here's the scouting report on Kyle Harrison before we get too excited on the on the ceiling. He's actually high eighties last year in the U eighteen tournament, so however, 
in, in the spring of this year, he's actually bumping 93 to 94 deep into his start. So he improved his body a little bit. He's, he looks stronger and he looks better. What's actually unique to him is his arm slot. He comes from a low three-quarter release. He's a drop-and-drive delivery. So the arm slot is actually pretty low to the ground. So the slider has some wiffle ball effect, especially when thrown out of the zone. It's, like, it's more of a 2-7 to seven break, like a CC Sabatia slider. Then the changeup is actually pretty far behind from the other two pitches, but it has above average potential based on the arm slot and the arm action. So I think it's not a high floor, low ceiling pitcher. It's actually a medium floor, medium to high ceiling pitcher. Okay. I, that, I, I totally agree with you, Remzi. I think that if he goes to UCLA, he could, turn, could have turned into a beast. Asa Lacey is a little rich for me, I'm going to be honest. I don't think he'll be able to grow into the same power as Lacey, but... Otherwise, I think, yeah, it's the kind of guy he's got the stuff. He's got the shape on his stuff. It's really hard to pick the ball up out of his hand, as you touched on. And I think if you just you add a little power to that fastball, add a little power to that slider, I think you're talking about a legitimate number two, number three starter, as you said. I think Ace Lacey's a little high for me. Yeah, it's a little bit I just really like it, too. <laughs> <laughs> but it was dream, we'll dream on it. I'm with you on him. I think it's a, I like the pitcher a lot. Yeah, that'll make three of us. I like him as well. He's He just has a really nice, good feel for pitching and pretty good knowledge of just kind of how to how to keep hitters off balance even though he doesn't like we were touching on doesn't have like that lights out kind of just great stuff to kind of continuously just kind of throw at you and just kind of fill up the zone with but he fills up the zone with consistent pitches and just knows how to keep hitters off balance just kind of reading their zone or reading their swings with the catchers and just kind of navigating through lineups pretty well but just the only risk here is just the high school pitcher if you just give him a few years to develop he's gonna have that plus command he's gonna have that plus fastball command and kind of locate that as he wishes with that slider. And then I think the changeup is definitely shows some league average potential and even potentially better, especially with that arm angle. I like the pick a lot. All right. Well, I'll be the first to say I was wrong. If he ends up being more than just a, a low floor four a guy, you guys know your stuff. I trust you for sure. Uh, but let's move on down the list. Uh, the giants go and grab RJ Dabovich. Uh, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but he's likely a bullpen candidate. I feel like I'm getting these wrong all day now, but is he a bullpen candidate? He runs up to 97 with a hard-breaking slider, and that's kind of it. The command's a little shaky, but manageable. Uh, walk rate went down from five in college down to something, I think, two and a half at the Cape. Did he do something specifically to make those changes, or, or is this just natural improvement? Actually, John, he's actually touching 100 miles an hour in his fastball now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So based on what I saw in the Cape last year and on this as the Sun Devils closer this year, he actually shortened up his arm action. So that not only gives him more velocity, but also hides the ball better against right-handed batters. So it's actually pretty good. And he changed his arm slot from a high three-quarter delivery to a more over-the-top. So it gives him better backspin on his fastball and gives him more downhill plane to his pitches. It's actually a very good change in his delivery. So on this stuff, he has fastball that runs up to 100, but he loses control. So probably fits more in the 94 to 97 range if he becomes a starter. His best pitch is actually slider. It's a Brad Lidge quality slider. Just drops vertically to the ground. Doesn't really break horizontally, but his vertical break is actually late and hard. His changeup curveball and splitter flashes average at best, but it's more of a fringing offering right now. And his control and command needs improvement as well because he actually had a pretty high walk rate this year. Yeah, I think Davidovich is really interesting. I really like him, as you touched on. Like I said, he was touching 100. Hit the RPMs, kind of working on 25, 40, 2600 range. So above average for sure. They might give him a chance to start. I'm not sure if they will, but 
I personally would not. I think he has kind of a deep uh, arsenal, although it's not the best arsenal, but that fastball slider combo is pretty deadly and it will play up at the next level. And the changeup and the splitter kind of, in my opinion, aren't the worst pitches. They definitely have some depth to them. Regardless, I think Dabo Flash has a ton of potential as a closer. And like I said, I wouldn't mess with it too much in the rotation. Just kind of stick him back there and let him kind of produce and work into kind of being your future closer. Let's finish off the Giants draft here. Uh, With their last pick, they grab Ryan Murphy from Lemoyne College in New York. He's another unheralded guy, not on any top prospect lists. Solid numbers, albeit at a small school. But outside of the numbers, what do you know about him? Why, Why were the Giants so high on him? To be honest, I actually don't know about him on draft day. <laughs> so I so I did my research after the draft. So I actually have a pretty solid knowledge of him now. So I actually saw a clip of him in high school. Comparing it to this college pitching now, there's more crossfire to his delivery. And that's the first thing that comes into mind about Ryan Murphy. The crossfire in his delivery. Reminiscent of Jared Weaver. He's very crossfiery. Starts on the first base side of the rubber, then ends on the third base side of the rubber. So his fastball, only 87 to 91 with good life. Then his curveball, slider, and changeup are all below average to fringy at best. You can probably bet on the curveball as his best pitch, but overall, he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's only 6 foot, 195 pounds. But I think the plan of the Giants here is that if he got away in the draft and he has him in the, in the undrafted cycle... They might, uh, they might not actually get him because he'll probably sign in teams that are close to his neighborhood, like the Mets or the Yankees. That's, that's, only, that's, only my, that's only my speculation. Yeah, I think I also want to point out that he's really, really young for a college junior. He, he doesn't turn 21 until October. So that, that's definitely a plus, and it, might be, it gives you a little more time to work with him on, on that fringy stuff. And he also, he went out, and I just want to point out, he pitched really well in the uh, New England Collegiate Baseball League in addition to pitching at LeMoyne. So we have seen him against the, the decent competition. The NECBL has got a lot of Division One hitters, um, including Hudson Haskin, the Orioles' second-round pick. He played in that league. So uh, Murphy was able to dominate there. He's just kind of a guy who consistently pitches above his stuff, like Renzi said. Nice. Well, Let's let's call it on the Giants here. Rimsey, you know your stuff, man. I'm sure the Giants fans out there are happy to have you. Uh, but we're not done with the NL West yet. So, so Rimsey, I'm going to hold you hostage for the remainder of the show. Oh and we're going to go to the desert. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to move over to the desert for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, the D-backs start their draft with pitching, grabbing a heavy analytics guy, uh, Bryce Jarvis. Out of Duke, Jarvis has four advanced pitches and, and compound the zone. But what I like, he's a driveline guy. So he's been maximizing his spin rates and efficiencies and access, all the stuff that Jake loves. What all does Jarvis have to take this advanced training to the major league level? A whole lot of fun stuff. Uh, He's not going to have that plus kind of ace material that you're looking for, but he definitely has a lot of fun stuff to work with and just above average to pretty close to plus stuff. He just kind of checks all the boxes. His command is probably the best, in my opinion, in the class. Just overall, just kind of from pitch to pitch, is just really strong overall. Just the fastball is kind of 92-96. Natural seeing, just 2,100 to 2,200 RPM on it. Works low in the zone, and it plays really well there. He gets a lot of ground balls and just kind of soft contact in the curveball. And something that's his best secondary pitch, I think it's a good pitch, but personally, I like the changeup slider a little bit better. But that's not not kind of curveball at all. Like I said, he's got... Everything it kind of shows just above average or even kind of plus. I just think this is the one that might not have that chance to get plus, but others think it might. The sliders, 85-86, has really nice bite to it. And against righties, it's just really deadly in my opinion. It's 
it's a really tough pitch on righties. It's not so much on lefties. It's still used, but I think that curveball is going to be more used against those lefties. But about 2,600 RPM on the slider. Tough to kind of read off of that. It tunnels really well off his fastball and just kind of falls late right out of the zone and kind of forces hitters to either swing and miss or just kind of chop it right on the ground for some soft ground balls. But like I said, I really like Jarvis. I think he's going to be a quick mover, more or less, for the system. I don't think he has much to kind of work on other than just kind of refining a little bit and just kind of developing that kind of endurance he needs to kind of get through a full season. But I see him being one of the more quicker movers in the draft, and I'm excited to see what he, what he can do. Yeah, Jake, I think you're right about that. He's he's done a lot of the work that a lot of these guys would do in the pros. Jarvis has already done that work to make himself a better pitcher. There's really nothing to not like here. I mean, you got the four four above average to plus pitches. Personally, I'm a fan of the changeup. I think that's my favorite pitch of his. I love the movement he gets on it and the way he can fool hitters with it. But, you know, the slider and the curveball are both really good pitches on their own. The slider's a little harder. The curve's got a little more depth. He can work between them really well. The I think the only qualms that people have with him are he's kind of a skinny 6'2", so he's not the world's most physical guy, and he's got an up-tempo delivery that optically looks relievery, but he's also proven to be able to hold his velocity deep into games, and I don't think there's any reliever risk to worry about beyond the, just the optics. Um, I think when you, you get into the meat of it, I, I, there's there's no reason to worry about the bullpen. He's a little older, going to turn uh, 23 in December, but he is, again, he's done a lot of the work that a lot of these guys put in in pro ball. He's already done the work. So I love him. There, there's nothing really not to like here. Sure. I, I think that age doesn't really matter as much when it gets to the guy who is going to advance through the system so quickly that if he's getting to the point where he's pitching at a major league level by the end of next year, he's young. He's 23 at the end of next year. So age, I don't think is going to matter as much for him because of how quickly he can advance. But the next guy I'm curious, they stay pitching as well. I feel like he's going to take a little bit longer to advance. We got Slade Ciccone from Miami. He just simply is a pitcher who misses bats well, but he does seem like he needs that development. His command just doesn't ever seem like it's at the same level that it needs to be. He does have good size. He has good peripherals, and he has got some upside for sure. But Zach, what do you see his future is? So it's a really interesting pitcher right here. I think he's absolutely got that impact upside, and I don't think he's that far away from it. But there is work to be done. He, he's a guy with a power fastball. You know, he's up to up to 96, 97 with that pitch. Sits comfortably in the low to mid-90s. You know, a plus slider. He's also got a, a cutter and a changeup that are coming along, but he's mainly the fastball slider. And he's actually a pretty solid strike thrower most of the time. The, the problem with Ciccone has been consistency. He's never really had everything working at once between, you know, the velocity, the secondaries, and the command. It's usually he's only, from start to start, he'll only have two out of the three working at any given point. And that's kind of kept him from reaching his true potential to this point. But all the building blocks are there. Again, he's also 6'4". He's got a perfect starter's frame. Pretty simple delivery that you know doesn't have any glaring flaws. I mean, you might want to smooth him out a little bit, but nothing too... Nothing too crazy. It's just a case of getting him a little more consistent with kind of everything and getting him on that pro regimen. How do you get him more consistent? I'm not entirely sure because he's kind of been sitting on go for a while. He was a big prep prospect as well who only fell because he got hurt his senior year. So I don't know. It's He's close. And obviously the Diamondbacks think he's just a little bit of refinement away from taking a big step forward. So he's got all the building blocks. We'll just, we'll just see how he puts them together. Yeah, he was a draft-eligible sophomore out of Miami, and he has a big arm, and it's pretty exciting, but 
like you said, when he's healthy, is just I think is kind of a concern a little bit, but just kind of moving forward is uh, more control over command for sure at this point. Definitely need some fine tuning there and locating pitches better for more long term success and kind of taking away some hard contact rates and there's kind of some higher um, kind of just hit rates he was kind of giving up. But um, the fastball is nice. It kind of runs up 96, 97, touches even upper 90s at times. And some some said it kind of dropped off later in games and left some questions in the rotation and stuff. I think that kind of has to do with just not being a just kind of some health concerns, then also just not being a full-time starter for last couple of years and all that, just not getting the full innings and all that. So that could kind of come into play and kind of show up later on as he kind of stays healthy, hopefully, in his career. Um, the slider is his best pitch, in my opinion. Just kind of has that potential, not nasty wipeout, um, kind of strikeout. Uh, geez, what am I saying? Has that nasty potential to be a wipeout pitch. Um, just throws it with high velocity, 87, even touches 90 at times. Um, but I think it has some nice potential. And... The changeup is just kind of average, regular third pitch. Nothing special. Has some good fade to it at times. It can get some nasty swing and misses, but more or less just kind of that stay off my other pitches. Just I need I need a third pitch, and gets about a 40 grade for me. But there's some good depth at times. It's just really inconsistent. I do expect him to be in the bullpen, but there is a chance, obviously, to be a starter. There is some good potential to dream on here. It's just I think he has a much better time of finding success in kind of an opener or maybe in a multi-inning reliever role. Or if you kind of shorten them even more, his stuff might play up in the uh, late innings. It's just a kind of traditional setup reliever or even closer. He has the nasty one-pitch, one-two combo with a fastball slider. So it's definitely possible. Well, I don't know if you guys have noticed this as much as I have, but the Diamondbacks are really good at drafting people with cool names. They they drafted Jazz, Chisholm, Blaze, Alexander, and now Slade, Sacconi. Jazz, Blaze, and Slade. Those are Awesome names. Come on, Diamondbacks. And, Keep this up. And Brandon Fat. We'll get to Fatty. We'll get to him. <laughs> but actually, next pick, we're going to stay on the mound. They go prep here. Uh, another big kid, only 18, but he's already 6'4", 215. He's Liam Norris. He maxes out at 96, but he's had some real command issues. Is that all he needs, just better command? Or are there more developmental needs here? Uh, Norris is actually pretty intriguing. The problem for him, like you said, is the control. He actually is inconsistent in the summer showcase last year. That's a problem for him. And his fastball sits only in the low 90s, but he actually has a downhill plane on it because of his high three-fourth slot. And he actually tunnels his curveball very well with it. His slider and has a potential out pitch as well. He is a big guy, like very imposing on the mound. He doesn't look like he will add more to his frame without sacrificing athleticism. If you have a problem with control and with middling athleticism, losing more athleticism will likely have him struggle, to be honest, reaching the major leagues. So it's mainly a relief profile for me, but there's actually some ingredients for him to be a starter based on his curveball and slider. So, yeah. Yeah, I think the Diamondbacks are going to need to overhaul his mechanics a little bit because, you know, he's been up and down with his stuff. O- over the summer, it was a little down. This the spring, it was up. When it's up, he's he's showing you a load of a 90s fastball and two really good breaking balls, which from a 6'4 lefty, you love to see. But the command has been, the consistent thing has been consistently bad, as we've talked about. Even when he's up, he's not throwing strikes. And I think that comes a little bit from his mechanics. He's very closed off in his delivery. And I think when he kind of comes open, it's kind of a long way for his torso to kind of travel and for his arm to travel when he comes back open towards the plate. And he's not consistent with where he releases the ball and where he kind of points himself out of his delivery. And that leads to baseballs flying to the backstop. 
their goal is going to be take this stuff and this kind of big left arm that's hard to find, get it more consistent first up, get the secondaries more consistent, get the command more consistent, but overhaul and refine that into a more streamlined package towards the plate. And I think he's got the really high upside, but I'm, I'm kind of with Renzi here. I don't really love the pick just because there's so much risk, but interesting for sure. The Diamondbacks go next. They fall off the mound and they grab AJ Vukovic. Uh, raw power is the name of the game here. 6'5", 210. That could easily be 230, 235 with some strength training. Their scouting director, Derek Ladner, mentioned he's so athletic he could play anywhere but second or short. But outside of his mouth, there are real questions about his defensive spectrum. I know the Diamondbacks probably want him to develop at third. There's real holes at the depth chart there. But does he have what it takes to stick at the corner? Or is he going to be an outfielder? Or, or Where does he land? I think as he kind of, like you said, there's definitely some room for him to add some weight there. I definitely don't think he'll be a third baseman long term. I think he just kind of grows out of it. But as the scouting director said, his athleticism is extremely good. This kid's crazy athletic. I mean, he was playing Wisconsin, so I'm not sure the talent he's playing. Regardless, I definitely see some potential here. Obviously, the power is legit. There's some big leg kicks where he can kind of get power happy and try to just kind of swing out of his shoes a little bit. But the leg kick kind of messes with his timing a little bit. So I could see... Some change in the future, but I wouldn't mess with it too much because you don't want to mess with this kid's power. It's legit, and that's what you drafted him for. I, w- I would like to add here, John, because I know you like your two-way players. And Vukovic actually pitched after Kyle Harrison in the U18 tournament. So he's like the piggybacking. He's like a piggyback reliever for Kyle Harrison. So if you want if you want pitching, you can probably see Vukovic try pitching. This is why we're here. We're here to pat my back and make me happy. I love it. Only in the low <laughs> 80s, though, so... <laughs> Uh, uh, I mean, you can't win them all, but uh, he'll be on the mound one day, I'm sure. In a in a 25 to nothing blowout, they'll put him out there and let him play. So finishing off the draft, they go off the beaten path here for the last guy. The Diamondbacks go D2 Bellarmine University in Kentucky and select Brandon Fat. You said the name earlier. You knew we were going to get to it. He's been rapidly developing at Bellarmine. Uh, Brandon lowered his ERA from 6 to under 1.4. He's had five and a half strikeouts for every walk in recent years. What do you see on him from an eyes-on scouting report? He's actually taking massive leaps into his development. So, However, it's already built, so actually the cement is dry on the body, so you don't actually expect a lot of velocity gains from him. But he has two varieties of fastballs. His fastball can reach up to, the, up to 95 miles an hour with high spin rate of 2,500, and it has some cut, and he has a sinker in the high 80s. You can actually flip a coin on whether his slurb or his change of his best off-speed pitch because both have above average potential. His slurp has a good late two-plane break and his change of has some good sinking fade on it. So you can probably toss a coin. Like I said, I'm not a big fan of his mechanics. It's, it looks very reliverish with a high elbow. So you can probably slot him in the bullpen at best. But with a three-pitch mix, you can probably dream a starting role for him. However, I see more of a reliever from him. Yeah, I agree with you, Renzi. I see him more as a reliever. I think not only due to the mechanics, which are a little bit tougher to repeat. I think also he he's shown that he hasn't really been able to hold his velocity deep into his starts at times. He's he's kind of fallen off a little bit. But I think in relief, the uh, it could play up really well. Like he, as you said, he pitched well on the Cape, and in relief, he's you know up to ninety five. The ball really explodes out of his hand. I really like to see that. I like it's hard to pick up. He's got that, you know, really quick arm where the ball just kind of jumps out. And it works well with the curve and the change. I think in a relief role, I think the stuff will play up for sure. Well, I I, uh, I look forward to watching him grow just so I can 
keep saying the word fat over and over again while watching baseball. So that's fun. Um, but let's let's move away from the Diamondbacks to the final team in our six-part series that in reality was a 30-part series. The annual presumptive favorites to win every World Series the last many preseasons. We're talking the LA Dodgers. They've managed to keep a stock farm system year in and year out, but with several key promotions happening recently, they need to restock, and they do just that with Bobby Miller. He's another pitcher, top pitcher out of Louisville. He lives on his fastball with a bit of love toward the slider and changeup as well. I'm seeing some issues in his delivery that may push him to the bullpen. Can you touch on that? What's his underlying issue here, Zach? So for most of his career, the underlying issue has been command. He's always had explosive stuff and an explosive right arm. To this point, he's kind of fallen behind in the count a little bit, and it's kind of let hitters sit on his fastball, and he's left pitches over the plate. He's missed the plate. It's been up and down for him up until this year when he started trending up because he was in the strike zone and in and around the strike zone a lot more and getting ahead of hitters more, which enabled his explosive stuff to play to its true potential. So we start with the fastball. He's this really big 6'5 dude with a fastball that sits in the mid to upper 90s, and he can maintain that velocity deep into his start. So he's hitting 97, 98 in the seventh, eighth inning. Uh, he's, he's topped out at 99 in his starting role, and it's not just a straight fastball. He, he's got the long arm action that makes it difficult to pick up, and then the, the pitch sinks, it bores. It's got a ton of movement that – to be honest, would probably create some pretty painful foul balls off the uh, off the handle of the bat. It's that kind of fastball. It's a really, really heavy pitch, almost like he's throwing a bowling ball. The slider's a good pitch. It's a 55 to 60, 60 at its best, usually more of a 55. It stands out more for its velocity than its its depth. It's got some depth, but it's really it's like up to upper 80s, tops out at 90 miles an hour on the slider with some good movement. That if he continues to hone that command tunneling those two pitches off each other would make almost for a nightmarish at-bat for hitters. I mean, you wouldn't have a prayer if you've got those two extremely fast pitches coming at each other and you don't know which one it's going to be. And the command has improved this year. He's It's more control over command, but he was actually hitting his spots more, and some scouts have put above-average command grades on him. There are some concerns with the delivery. It's a little kind of jerky, long-arm action, but with the progress he's made with his strike throwing and the just strength this guy has... I wouldn't be overly worried. I think he's a starting pitcher. And I don't think the Dodgers would draft him this early if they didn't think the same thing. And they're usually right about this stuff. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I Like you said, there is some bullpen risk here. But like you said, I don't think the Dodgers are drafting someone in the first round, especially with their development and considering putting him in the bullpen right away. So they're definitely going to see what happens. And I think the Dodgers will kind of work well with him. But the fastball's good. It works in about 94, 96. Touches upper 90s at times. Sliders, some call it a cutter-ish pitch. Has some decent horizontal break. It's not overly huge with a break. That's probably why some call it a cutter at times. He has kind of a split change. It kind of works like a third offering that kind of just already kind of shows that soft contact rate, and it's not really showing some swing and misses with it. But I like I like the con- or the the profile here with Miller, and the Dodgers are always so good at developing pitchers. So I think he landed in one of the best uh, landing spots he could look for. Well, I guess my issue with him being a starter, the Dodgers have so many starter types in their farm system already it's almost a given that he's going to have to fall into the pin just to just to pitch just to actually 
make uh, innings in the next couple of years. He's going to have to be pinned. I, I wouldn't worry about that, especially like that's probably why they drafted him. You don't worry about that. You let them kind of go through the minors and see how it goes. And they've had, I mean, they have the same issue right now. They've had the same issue for literally the last four years with Urias. They have all these guys ready, but there's not a ton of spots. They've had this issue kind of for the last few years and it hasn't really stopped them from kind of just adding in more prospect and more prospects because Dodgers are always going to look for adding more talent in the future. So it wouldn't shock me if yeah. he's in the trade talks soon or whatever, but I expect to see him in the major league. I don't think the Dodgers see an issue with having, you know, 13 number one through number three starters every year. I think that's kind of their MO. <laughs> they don't have a problem with it. That's pretty good to have. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not an issue for the Dodgers as much as it's an issue for the pitchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, the Dodgers love having their – their number 14 starter run out and throw seven shutout innings. And- yeah. Well, let's compound the issue. We're going to stay on the mound. And like so many teams in this draft, it was a very pitcher-heavy draft, college pitcher-heavy draft. They draft Landon Knack. He's a fifth-year senior out of East Tennessee State. So he's no baby, but he's got talent for sure. A fastball that touches 98 and a hard tight slider. The results this season were a one ERA and 51 strikeouts and half as many innings. Given his age, Zach, where is he going to stand as a prospect and, again, as a player? So I see him more as a reliever in this system. I think in a lot of systems he'd have a chance to start, but this is one that's so deep that I think if we're talking about Bobby Miller having relief risk, I think Knack will go first. And and you mentioned the 51 uh, strikeouts in 25 innings. He also only walked one in that period. (laughs) That's pretty good. A 51 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio. (laughs) Yeah. And and he wasn't playing the toughest competition. ETSU doesn't really play the toughest uh, schedule. Uh, So he's a really interesting pitcher, though. He's always had that good command. And the velocity jump has been more of a recent thing. So you've got that mid-90s fastball that tops out at 98 that he's got this pinpoint command of. And that's just proven to be too much for these kind of mid-major hitters that he's been facing over at ETSU, especially this year. The off-speeds are solid. As you said, the slider's nice and tight. He's taken steps forward with them, and they've jumped from, like, fringy offerings to, you know, average to slightly above average. But overall, I don't think he has a true strikeout pitch. In this system, I think he's forced to the bullpen. It's also not an ideal delivery. It's a little jerky. He's kind of got a stocky 6'2 frame. You've got a guy who's going to paint with, you know, 95, 96 deep into games. And as a reliever, that won't be a problem. But it's a big money saver as well. And you're buying the trajectory here. I think he'll move quickly for the Dodgers. Adding on to Nap, uh, I think the velocity gain came as a result of his strength and conditioning improvements over the offseason. So, yeah, that's just like Zach said, he's actually t- touching 98 miles an hour now. I think his best off-speed pitch is his curveball. Uh, it's, it's a mid-70s offer with 2,800 spin rate at best, so he's actually getting a hard late bite on it. The slider, just like Zach said, is flashing above average, and his changeup is pretty average at best. So at 23 years old, I think Knack is as is as a pitcher. Like You can probably throw him into the major leagues right now, and you will expect the same Landon Knack. There, there will be little improvement as he goes through the minor leagues, and he will be a fast mover. But I think it's a relief feature, like, like Zach said. Well, so moving on, I want to go to a guy. The Dodgers draft another pitcher. They're going to start striking fear into those Giants fans like Renzi, having to face all these pitchers, one after another after oh. another. They grab Clayton Beater, uh, the third straight righty college arm, and, and this time someone with a curveball that's been described as, quote, the best in the draft. Zach, tell me about this magical curve and how it plays with his other stuff. What about his overall profile? So he's a really interesting pitcher. I think 
he was a couple of years ago, he wasn't really much of a prospect at all. He was coming off Tommy John surgery. And then last year, he walked 20 batters in 20.2 innings. He's kind of, the stuff has been there for a while, but the command was so poor that it was more of a long shot for him as a prospect, I think. But then he came out this year and he was absolutely dominant. He went from a 20 walks in 20.2 innings last year to this year he had a 33 to 4 strikeout to walk ratio in 21 innings. Now, that wasn't against the toughest competition. Uh, he did have one start against Tennessee. That was his worst start out of the four. But he, the difference was he had this great stuff and he was throwing strikes. The fastball is you know a low to mid-90s offering. The top's out at 98. The curveball is his best pitch. Uh, it's got really great depth, and it's really consistent. It's not like one of those pitches that just has great depth when he locates it. It's, it's a consistently plus pitch, and it also doesn't pop out of his hand. Like You don't get that pop that kind of alerts hitters that makes it easier to pick up. It kind of comes straight down over his hand, out of his hand. And with a curveball especially, that, that makes it very, very effective. And he's mainly lived off that fastball curveball, which is a very effective two-pitch mix. But he's also got a slider and a changeup that have above average potential as well. The slider actually could be a plus pitch. He's just got really good feel to spin the ball. And the changeup is, is a sneaky good pitch as well. And everything plays up because he comes from this over-the-top release point that brings puts good angle on the ball, brings it uh, kind of has it come down towards the hitters. But with the fact that he's now throwing strikes more consistently, the package plays up much better than it did before. And the Dodgers have to have a little bit of faith buying this four start track record because he doesn't have much else to go off of. But I think the pitch metrics are really good and more more and more teams were feeling comfortable with his stuff that he actually was getting some first round conversations and he did sign over slot down here. But yeah, it's it's just a great four pitch mix with with now with command. I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta face a lot of these guys here, man. Yeah, Beater is actually the one that I wanted over Schmidt at pick 49. <laughs> I actually see Beater as a first-round talent. The passport curve is just... He tunnels it very well from over the top. You can't, it's very difficult to gauge whether whether the pitch is going to be, to be a fastball in the curveball, just like Zach said. And there's actually not a lot of track record. And he actually had Tommy John, so there's some issues there. Eh? Because, you know, the predictor of future injuries is past injuries, but... We all know the Dodgers do like their Tommy John's Tommy John people, and they produce really good pictures out of it. So yeah, pretty good pick. I'm I'm still bitter. <laughs> you want to come for him, Bun? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dylan Bundy. Uh, Dylan Bundy. Current or prospect uh, that's not... <laughs> level? <laughs> so you're telling me you would have drafted Orioles Dylan Bundy first round? Are you? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! Nineteen-year-old Dylan Bundy was elite, and then he got injured. But when he was 19, he was coming out of the pen in Baltimore, helping them in a playoff run. That's he why was a prospect, Bundy. Or he was Bundy. excellent, and then injuries happened. But Bundy, oh man, if you get Bundy in LA and you don't get him in San Francisco, yeah, you're crying a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> well, as you soak in your tears. I want to take a hard right turn here, and, and the Dodgers are going to take a prep outfielder next. Uh, they grab a local kid from Huntington Beach. It's a truly dynamic athlete, Jake Vogel. He's only 5'11", but he gets a ton out of his swing. And, and, and mix that with the true plus-plus speed and the Dodgers' development money, we could be talking about a serious talent here. Jake, what do you think his future looks like in L.A.? Oh, just to start, I've seen a ton of Vogel. He literally plays. He's backdoor for the 
for the Dodgers, but he's literally in my backyard. He's plays his high school games three minutes from my house. So I've seen a lot of him. And I might be biased, so we'll see what the other guys say. But from your talks, it seems like you're pretty high on him as well as I am. I think this has potential to be one of the better fits and just picks of the entire draft. I am super high on his potential. Obviously, everyone knows about the speed, the 70, possibly even 80 grade speed. He has the ability to stick out in center. He's improved out there a lot the last year. I don't have any real questions that he can stick out there. He runs down balls pretty well out there now and has a fairly decent arm and it will improve as he kind of adds weight to his body. He's not going to be any huge kid, but he'll add some good weight to him and it'll help him a lot. But I'm a lot higher. Obviously some people are high on his bat. I think there's a lot more power potential than people are thinking. I definitely see some seasons where he's touching over 20 homers in a season and possibly potential for more, but that'd be in his peak seasons. I just think there's so much potential here. His swing has been improved. His has really good bat speed. It's just, has a line drive stroke, but as he kind of moves into pro ball, I think he's going to kind of add a little bit of natural loft. And the Dodgers are so good at developing these guys. The first kind of person, once the Dodgers drafted him, I know his guys haven't been with the Dodgers much. He's more of a diamondback, but it reminds me of a lot of just AJ Pollock, a little more speed, but definitely will stick out in center. I think he might have a little more potential than Pollock, but if he turns into Pollock, I don't think anyone's complaining and he doesn't really have the injury history Pollock does. So with that injury history, I think we're looking at Pollock as one of the better players in the league last few years. So Vogel might have that potential, maybe not top of the echelon of the league, but I'm huge on this potential, and I'm really excited to kind of see how he moves into Pro Bowl after seeing him so much in high school. I think he has, like Jake said, has more power to his bat than other people would think because unlike hitters who drag the bat to the zone, he actually has a pretty good swing pat. And if Jake said was true that he improved on his swing pat even more this year, so you can probably expect at least average hit and power to his, to his bat. There's actually potential five tools. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I definitely think he has potential to flash average or better tools across the board. Definitely, I don't see him flashing that plus kind of power tool to give him that true five tool player. But I definitely did see improvements this year, and he was showing some pull power. wasn't home run power by any means, but he was definitely showing some ability and kind of getting that bat hat out in front and kind of attacking out in front more than he was before. So I'm okay. really happy with this pick and happy he's okay. going to stay kind of local. Bum the Angels didn't take him, but it is what it is. <laughs> we got a lot of sad scouts in this in this uh podcast today but zach i know you're not going to be sad about this next guy carson taylor out of your team virginia tech they, he's a highly touted catcher and he has a sweet enough swing that he kind of looks promising does he have what it takes to be a starting backstop or is this just like a backup role yeah i think taylor's got some upside i think it's, it's kind of a sneaky profile He's got a really, really advanced approach at the plate that enables him to, you know, tell balls from strikes and fastballs from breaking balls really, really well. And he's had that throughout his career. And it's enabled him to tap some some pretty solid raw power. He's still kind of growing into his 6'2 frame. There, there is definitely power there. He struggled a bit on the cape, but there he was also kind of battling a handmade injury there. So I actually wouldn't put too much into that he's hit really really well at Virginia Tech and even though Virginia Tech isn't that great of a baseball program they're in the ACC and they play a good schedule in terms of his hit tool the pitch selection is a little bit ahead of his contact I think he's got that good approach which helps the hit tool play up but there are some holes in the swing itself he's also young he's a draft eligible sophomore so the hope is that the Dodgers can kind of smooth out his mechanics a little bit kind of get him a little more fluid through the zone and help him tap that power a little bit more because he's got that good eye I think that won't be too much of an issue uh, behind the plate, not sold. He'll stay behind the plate, especially given all these catchers the Dodgers have. 
Uh, but he's got some some impressive tools back there. He's got a good arm. Um, he's an athletic kid who's a little, you know, a little raw. But if they wanted to, they could probably turn him into a serviceable backstop back there. But given all the talent they have back there, he'll probably end up somewhere else, maybe in the outfield, maybe at first base. Probably, probably like a left or right fielder. But I think the bat's got some sneaky upside if they can put it together a little bit. Kind of reminds me almost of Zach Deloach as a hitter pre-breakout, except that he was hitting really well this year. I think a little bit of smoothing out could help Taylor go a long way. Yeah, he's more of a bat first kind of a guy than a catcher. I definitely think he'll kind of move off the position in the, in the long run. And the Dodgers just kind of drafted probably the bat, thinking this bat works. He's athletic. He can maybe catch. If not, we'll move over to first base, left field, and he should be able to hit and produce. The power might not match the first base uh, position, but if he's not kind of playing there every day, kind of full-time, I don't see too much of a deal as long as he can kind of handle, handle the position defensively. I think the bat will play. Um, like I said, I don't think it'll ever be overwhelmingly strong, but it definitely will be pretty decent, and he's a, he's, he's, he seems like a pretty consistent hitter, so I have faith he'll make it. I just don't think it'll be as a catcher, but... With the Dodgers, as most teams, but specifically the Dodgers, if you can hit, they will find a spot for you. Whether they have time for you or not right now might be the question, but they will find space for you. So so they move from the ACC to the Southland next, going and grabbing a small school ready out of Central Arkansas, Gavin Stone. It's yet another guy where the college numbers are there. The last two seasons, he's held a 1-4-4 ERA with 89 strikeouts to only 17 walks. And it's an improvement over his freshman year for sure. All the numbers being said, beyond the numbers, it doesn't seem like he has a real plus pitch. Does he have enough, quote, other stuff to get past being organizational depth? I think so. I think, I, don't, I wouldn't say he has a great chance at it, but I, th- I think there's enough to at least make him interesting. You know, he's a 6'1 kid with a low 90s fastball. He's got, you know, average slider and changeup. The slider's got some good lateral movement on it. He, he plays up because of his command. He's a really good strike thrower, a good polished strike thrower. He actually, in his last college start, he threw a 13-strikeout no-hitter against Southeastern Louisiana. So it's played up in college. In terms of starting, again, the Dodgers just have so much depth here that he might not stick for that reason. He's also you know, not a big guy. He's not proven as a starter. He, did, he only transitioned to starting this spring. The Dodgers might not even mess with him in the rotation. But then again, the Dodgers can turn these seemingly random pitchers into stars all the time. So maybe they do. The stuff is there. It's not plus by any means, but you know, it's kind of 50s across the board. It, all it takes is maybe a little step forward with this changeup or a step forward in his velocity that he's got the command to carry everything else, provided he gets a little more physical. And otherwise, they throw him in the bullpen and the pitches can tick up on their own. Well, Jake, Zach, Renzi, and even Chris listening at home right now, I'm glad we can finally breathe, sit back, and move on to our next 409 ventures we have lined up. But before we complete this six-part series... Let me ask you guys one more time, as you sign off, tell the world where they can find you on social media and which player you like the best out of this jam-packed NL West. Uh, you can find me, Jake Tillinghast, on social media, Tillinghast, T-I-L-L-I-N-G-H-A-S-T-2-7. Uh, you can follow us at Prospects Worldwide at Prospects World W. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube if you're not a huge podcast listener. My favorite player of the draft of the NOS is pretty obvious if you listened at all. It was Jake Vogel. I mean, watched the kid play in high school too much to not like him as much as I do. Just too much talent, and the Dodgers are going to make it work, and just just excited to see what he does. Really excited. In the future, you can expect top 20s 
to get started in the next few weeks or so. We have the Padres up on the site right now. That'll, as all will, turn into podcasts for your listening pleasure. And we will be moving into more of that. Potentially some 2021 stuff as well coming on the horizon. Maybe a look into what might happen with some guys who ended up in college. Um, that kind of didn't get drafted last year. So some exciting stuff on the horizon. So be sure to give us a follow. Nice. Uh, Zach? Yeah, I'm Zach Silverman. You can find me on Twitter at ZachMatt4, Z-A-C-K-M-A-T-T-4. Uh, I've got a couple of draft reviews up on prospectsworldwide.com. And I also write my own blog at dugoutedgebaseball.blogspot.com. And my favorite player in this draft, of course, it's got to be Zach Veen, but we're not allowed to do first rounders. So I'm going to go with Levi Thomas, the Padres fourth, fourth rounder out of Troy. You'd love watching him compete. Uh, what about you, Renzi? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Giant Perspective. Remove the letter E on the last letter. So you can follow me at Giant Perspective. Then uh, I actually do prospect interviews of, for Prospects Worldwide. Uh, actually, I have a new post about Javier Francisco Estrella being compared to as the next Fernando Tatis Jr. And a couple of hours ago, uh, Javier actually chatted me. Fernando Tatis Sr. and Manny Acta actually congratulated him and texted him about the about the post. And Mr. Ben Badler of Baseball America said he's really excited to read the post and add on to that. They will actually talk about the article on the Dominican Republic TV and radio this week. So you have to be pretty excited about that, to be honest. That's incredible, Wendy, man. Yeah, and for my favorite pick, uh, hands off, Kyle Harrison. Local kid, high high ceiling, high floor. It's very exciting, to be honest. Well, uh, as always, I'm John Giles, and you can follow me at Puma Revive. That's P-U-M-A-R-E-V-I-V-E-D. And one day I might follow you back. Until that day comes, please continue to go to prospectsworldwide.com for all of our player scouting reports, analysis, team draft recaps, and more. My favorite pick in this draft, or in the NL West section of this draft, is uh, AJ Vukovic. That power potential and the athleticism where he falls on, on the defensive spectrum, that's got me intrigued. I'm really looking forward to see kind of what he's going to do in the future. But guys, don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to these remarkable scouts. Uh, Don't think we're done now. Like Jake said, we've got a lot of things in the pipeline. So keep listening. I'll see you all in the next episode. Thank you for listening. I'm John Giles, and this is Prospects Worldwide.